Can you remember like any particular instance where you? Uh, like... Just a lot of deja vu. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you, you went into that wall and you know you broke it up, but you're kind of like, oh, I've been, I've been here before. <laughs> but uh, Ooh, I mean, look at the pretty birds. <laughs> you know, at that at that age and that time, I was just doing what I was told to do. Right. I really didn't think about the you know injuries or you know if I had an injury or I just wanted to keep playing. I was doing my job. This is Jr. Nizavachia. This is Justin Papa. This is Brian Bond. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to the Heads and Tails Podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This might be a little different interview than what you're used to if you're a frequent listener. This isn't an athlete interview. It is uh, it's more of an educational discussion about a new proposal by USA Football for a new modified version of tackle football. And I first saw the article on uh, Mind of the Athletes Facebook page and just kind of looked at some of the new rule changes. Um, but just a little background about the state of football and health and safety in football um, participation has dropped a, a lot in recent years and has gone from 3 million participants in 2010 to about 2.2 million uh, participants last fall and this is largely due to the concerns of health and safety in the sport um, in addition uh, USA football is the governing body of uh, American style football and really their goal is to promote the sport uh, and the participation in the sport so they obviously want to see the sport grow and continue to grow, which it is currently not doing. Um, recently, there's also been some articles written in the New York Times about some false claims that USA Football and some of their research, uh, I guess, companies that they're associated with, um, kind of claiming inaccurate data. And they what they claimed was that their USA Football Heads Up program, uh, which is a program that's designed to obviously make the game safer, but it's for coaches. Um, there's a lot of online tools and teaching educational programs to kind of, you know, hone in on technique to take the head, quote unquote, out of the game. Uh, and then, you know, so with USA Football, um, they they claim that this program, you know, accounted for 76% fewer injuries. 34% fewer concussions, and 29% uh, fewer concussions in practice. So these are like pretty wild claims and really big numbers, but it turned out that the, kind of the data, data analytics company kind of messed up in that whole thing, so it weren't really true. And what most of the decreases in injuries were more from Pop Warner's rule changes, which eliminated kickoffs in the game and also reduced contact in practice. Um, so enough of the background stuff. Basically, we're going to go through all of the new rule proposals for USA Football, and today I'm here with uh, three of my friends and two former guests on the podcast. Uh, first off, we got uh, J.R. Nizabakia, not Ninjavakia like I messed up last time, uh, <laughs> episode three guest. He's a physical therapist, um, he's a youth football coach, and he's also a USA Football certified safety coordinator for your league, or is that what it is? That's correct. That's how they, they, they go by it? So, J.R., say hi to the crowd. Hi, Ma. <laughs> and then we got Justin Papa. Uh, he's a personal trainer. He's a high school football guy, one of our buddies. Um, he's going to talk about, you know, some of how we used to play football back in the day and how it's kind of changed. He was a uh, former madman from Voorhees High School. Yeah. That's right. Go Vikes. Yep. Uh, and then we have former guest Brian Bond, who was episode 31, I believe. Um, he was the ACL king. Um, <laughs> and he also is a former professional football player. So. We'll get his opinion on the matters as well. So just to start off, um, like USC football calls this new initiative their um, modified tackle football. So the reason why they kind of came up with that is because they looked at sports like baseball who have like you go to T-ball, then you go to Little League, then you go to Babe Ruth. Then you kind of like there's a, an evolution of the game to kind of fit the needs of the players at the time. Um, so – the first thing that they did to kind of mimic that, that they being USA football, was to make the playing field smaller, which will measure about 40 yards um, by 35 yards as opposed to a 100-yard field. So what do you guys think 
that is going to have an impact on the game. Will that make it safer? Uh, who wants to start off? Well, I'm going to answer with a question. Along okay. with uh, the decreasing uh, length and width of the field, they're also taking away a few players from each side, correct? Exactly, yeah. So th they're proposing that there will be six to nine players on each side playing on this field. That's a good point to make in this one. Yeah, I think that has a lot. Well, and from personal experience playing arena football, that was a 50-yard field. So they cut the length in half, and I think the width was decreased a little bit as well. And there were still some vicious hits. I would, uh, I would think uh, arena football actually probably even more vicious hits because it's a confined space. True. Wait, how many players are in arena? Uh, it's eight on eight. Eight on eight, okay. And, but but uh, another caveat there is the fact that you do get a running start in some positions. So Right, which makes it even bigger collisions. Right. Right. Um, so I guess with, like, to me, you know, I know like when football first started, they kind of expanded the field to kind of, and, like, introduce like the forward pass that you could do that to try to eliminate some of the contact. But in my eyes, if you're shortening the field and reducing the number of players on the field, like how much are you really changing like room to, you know, avoid contact, right? I feel like you're kind of just clump clumping the same game in a shorter field. You know, do you guys Absolutely. agree with that? Yeah, where there was, there's going to be more contact. It's confined. Exactly. You have less area. room to run. And the other thing is the collisions are not occurring 80 yards down the field. It's not like eliminating the back half of the field is going to right. save you from a collision. The collisions are happening at the line of scrimmage. Exactly, typically. yeah. Uh, usually the up-the-gut plays uh, where, you know, defenders and running backs will put their head down. Um, ultimately, I'd love to see some evidence that they could support how this would make a difference. Right. But – I think the only way you make a difference is in changing some of the coaches. Okay, and we'll get to that that point as well. Um, at, at once we go through all the all the rule changes. Yeah, I agree with Jr. I think the only increased player safety uh, with that rule change would be the few guys that aren't on the field. Yeah, less injuries because there's less players. Exactly. <laughs> now, do you think that? the shortened field will make the game more exciting by any chance because the way that this format is, you basically are going to have like four downs to score a touchdown. So, you know, on say you, you guys, you know, say you get stopped, you know, for the first three downs and now you're 40 yards away from scoring a touchdown, it forces you to go for the Hail Mary and, and that kind of thing. Do you guys think that as terms of excitement, will that have an impact on the game? Well, did they say if it's fourth down – do you have to go for it? or So, for instance, in my, my son's league, we don't have special teams at his level. So he's nine this year, um, and he's in peewee football or uh, Mighty Mites, I think it it's is. Mighty Mites now, yeah. is, it a, is it a Pop Warner league? No, we're not, but uh, we're Warren County Midget Football. I swear I'm, I'm not being politically incorrect. <laughs> That's the actual title. I don't <laughs> quite understand. Things are a little different in Warren County. <laughs> but uh, – but that's the name of the league. But we've never had special teams for the young kids. That starts at the next level, which is uh, basically, I think, fifth and sixth grade. And then varsity is the seventh and eighth grade teams. Okay. Um, so we don't have kickoffs, punts. So basically what happens when it's fourth down, if we say we're punting, they just take the ball and they move it 25 yards down the field, and then the other team gets the ball first and 10. Okay. But do you think that's actually because of trying to avoid contact or because at that age, like, the kids can't really kick far enough or they both, can't? Both. Both. Okay. Absolutely. Um, it would, in order to get that snap at that age, it's sometimes hard for the center to get the ball to the quarterback standing right behind him, let alone snap it 10 yards back so someone could punt it or place kick. Um, so it really would be quite a disaster. But I have to say, being an injury from football when I was part of the wedge on kickoff return when I didn't have the, the ball, um, you know, getting rid of special teams and those those impacts that have a 30-yard running head start right. into each other, I believe definitely helps. Uh, not only the head injuries, but a lot of the twisting and turning injuries because now kids are, they're not, especially at that age, even even when you get into 7th and 8th grade, they're not in great control of their body. So as they start coming and you see a kid make a cut, you'll see them dive, and the next thing you know, it's a helmet to a knee, uh, and then the kid is off the field that way as well. Now, did you guys, uh, Justin and uh, Brian, did you, when you guys were playing football, did you guys ever get hurt 
you know, because of the distance on the field, like being able to come up, you know, with these huge, you know, running starts? Well, yeah. I mean, as bringing up the wedge, I was the guy coming down, breaking up the wedge. The wedge buster, You yeah. know, uh, it, it was – it was, the, and the coaches were like – and if we didn't break the wedge, we got in trouble for that. Right. So <laughs> it was like break the wedge or, you know – don't, yeah, it's don't your play. job. So, so that was our job. You gotta have a screw loose to be a wedge buster. And, and yeah, you you run into that wedge. I mean, and they're, the wedge is usually the bigger guys. Can and you remember like any particular instance where you? Uh, like, just a lot of deja vu. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you, you run into that wall and you know you broke it up, but you're kind of like, oh, uh-huh. I've been in, I've been here before. <laughs> but uh, Ooh, I mean, look at the pretty birds. <laughs> you know, at that at that age and that time, I was just doing what I was told to do. Right. I really didn't think about the you know injuries or you know if i had an injury or i just wanted to keep playing i was doing my job yeah you know? nor can you really think about injuries right. while you're playing right um this is a flashback to episode 31 i think but my the only uh undiagnosed concussion that i think i ever got was uh my sophomore year i was on the scout team setting the wedge and here came the wedge buster like six three two forty big senior came down and put his helmet right into the crown of mine, and that just went black like that. And, uh, you know, back then we just talked about it. The coach, you know, pat you on the butt, and like, oh, you got your bell rung, you'll be all right. And right. Then, you know, but I remember, wow, that was the only time I ever, you know, lost consciousness or lost vision for even a moment on the field. So that did stick with me. So I think that that is based off of what we've talked about. You know, there's three guys who have been injured or remember getting their bell rung, quote unquote, from special teams. So that kind of goes into what. The background when I was talking about how they contributed most of those reductions in injury to the Pop Warner rule changes of taking uh, special teams out of the game. So I guess that that could be a plus for shortening the field because it would definitely give you less opportunity to pick up that kind of speed. Um, and going back to the six to nine players on the field, it kind of is like rugby sevens in a way. You know how they have like it's, it's the fast guys on the field. And do you guys think that there'll be more running because there's less players on the field or more passing? It'll be more like a seven-on-seven. I don't know how it's supposed to work. Like, every article I've read doesn't say, like, how many linemen they have versus how many, you know. I I don't know those specifics. Players are going to depend on who's on the field, if you have the skills players or the beefier guys on the field to block. Right. You know. Um, I I play, like, eight-on-eight just recreational flag football, and the fields are about the same, 50 by 30, I think, and it's eight people, no blocking, but you're running around, and it's it's a cluster, and you're running into each other, and there's some collisions just from being unaware of where everyone is. Right. So it kind of depends on what, if you're going to pass the ball, how many people are going out for a pass, you know, how many people are going to be on the line, so... Yeah, it's almost like uh, how force equals mass times acceleration, right? It's like if you got the big guys, they're not moving as fast. So, you know, that force, you know, is the weight making the hard hit or is the speed making the hard hit? You know, you you sell smaller guys who are just running hard out there who collide, and obviously that would cause a big collision. Um, Do you think it'll be like a barrier to entry for the big guys? Like because it's more similar to seven-on-sevens, where obviously it pays to be fast and you're going to be running the, running and spreading the ball out, you know, is there going to be a place for big guys on the team? I think the, the big question there will be there's already limitations in weight for youth football in most leagues. Some of them don't have a weight limit. So when you look at Pop Warner, they do have a weight limit, and then they even have weight limits where it's a lot more intense than, than our, our league is just a set 105 pounds and you're and below can play peewee. You know, 125 pounds and below plays JV. 155 and below you can play varsity. And then it goes by age. Pop Warner they have rules in place so that if you're older but lighter, so if you're smaller, you can play down and you can play with the younger kids. So it goes more by weight is your bigger option. They also have some limitations on who can carry the ball. Right. So if you're going to be a running back, even though the weight limit may be 150 for that team. If you're going to be running back, you got to be under 125. Okay. So there's a lot of guidelines in place already for weight, which, to be quite honest, deters a lot of big kids from coming because ultimately some of your biggest and best linemen in high school typically never got a chance to play in youth football unless they went to a league without a weight limit. Right, which are, at least in New Jersey, pretty few and far between, I would think. There's not a ton of them. There, 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 there's a few, but there's, there are definitely – most of those teams 
you have to have it's a lot more expensive because you're traveling a lot further. They're not funded by the town. So now you got to buy your own equipment. So there's a lot of deterrence for that. Right. Um, so yeah, so weight has always been an issue. I think a lot of the big kids, and like you said, I don't think it's the big guys on the line that are, especially in youth football, that are getting banged up unless it's a running back coming through. It's typically your linebackers and your defensive backs that come up to make the tackles or your running back and your quarterback who are getting hit the most. Right. Um, did you guys, I mean, there's a couple of different ways I can, directions I can go after that statement, but did you guys ever struggle like making weight for, you know, <laughs> playing in your youth leagues? Mm-hmm. We yeah. were, um, I think it was the Mighty Mites. I played for the Hunter and Huskies and there was the weight limit was, I forget what the exact weight limit was, but there was a lot of us cutting over 10 to 15, some of us 20 pounds, just to be on that team. Being an older lighter, they called it an older lighter. Right. Because, uh, you know, if you made the weight, you can be older, but you can still play on, you know, not bump up to the junior squad where it's like a lot, you know, the kids are much bigger. Right. So. So that might not be the healthiest thing, but no. what about you, Brian? Uh, same thing, except with in, instead of cutting weight, I bumped up. So I played peewee for two years. My we, we called it Super Pee Wee was the younger kids. And then when I was in Super Pee Wee uh, age, I played Pee Wee. Then I played Pee Wee again the next year. And then I skipped JV and I played varsity for two years. Do you feel like you held your own in there? In there or do you feel like you were kind of getting pummeled a little bit because you were a younger kid? Um, I think I held my own because I was big enough to play. Because I was a freaking league. stud, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> I know, we're talking Just about a 250-pound guy that can basically jump up and do a toe touch straight out to the side. <laughs> a little you bit know, of a freak of athletic ability. Speaking of Husky kids, um, I think there's going to be a percentage of kids that are bigger that may be good football players that will end up not playing. I don't know what the percentage will be, but you got to think these kids that don't get a chance to play youth football, a lot of them will be involved in other sports or have other hobbies and just, just drift another direction by the time they get to high school and they can play. So I think you're going to lose a portion of those kids just based on the fact that they didn't grow up playing the game. Right. So there's mandated position rotations within this new format of football. So, you know, I don't know if there's a weight limit. Everything that I've read, I haven't seen anything about weight limit. But, like, if you're rotating, like, who's the running back and who's the quarterback and who's on the line? Like, you you might have a kid who's, you know, the the heavyweight and you're still having a kid on defense who, you know, I guess the coach are supposed to match up by size like during this game, but in terms of like tackling someone, like you're not going to necessarily get tackled by the person that you're matched up against. So what do you guys think about, you know, that situation? I think you're putting a lot of faith into the youth football coaches. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because the first thing you're going to do when they see a little guy on the line, get us the big back. It's all about winning, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I could see some like fights getting disputed between – coaching staffs on either team you know like oh well you know that, that never happens it's always about the kids right, right. <laughs> there's never over aggressive dads never reliving never glory yeah. days. never had the cops at our field or people going after referees <laughs> or anything for little boy football i swear right <laughs> so or two coaches fighting that, that actually happened at a practice brian did you ever get to run the ball when you were growing up uh, i had a little stint at fullback um when i was younger it didn't last long. <laughs> <laughs> Why was that? Um, I like to think because I was better utilized elsewhere <laughs> as a pulling guard. <laughs> I liked running the ball. Okay. Uh, I think we had better talent, really. But it, it didn't keep you from playing football because, like, you got a taste of, you know, fullback and running the football. But when they took you back, it wasn't like you didn't want to play football anymore. Oh, no. It, it was just a moment of awesomeness. And thank God that they weren't filming. Oh, okay. I wonder what I looked like running the ball. And Justin, you were a running back? I was, yeah. So did you ever play on the line? Uh, tight end, actually, in um, Pee Wee's. Definitely, uh, I wanted to catch the ball. I wanted to go out for passes. Okay. So I was like, I'm, I, I did not run the ball until I got a little older, and they forced me to get in the backfield because I was a smaller kid. and uh, But I wanted to be on the line and, and catch passes. So. so I think that's an interesting way because the reason why I brought that up was like, well, what if like linemen don't they don't excel at running back and then it's not fun for them or vice versa. The running back struggles on the line, so like maybe they makes them not want to play anymore. So like some, I, I think it know. would make you not want to play that position if you're not if it's not enjoyable and you're not good at it, or you you know you weren't built for that position. 
it shouldn't deter you from the game or make you upset and not want to play the game, but maybe it'll sink in like, hey, okay, let, let me play somewhere else where I can have some more fun and succeed. Right. And we, we have a rule when I coach um, the youth football players. What I tell, what I, first day of practice, I ask everybody, said, uh, who, who here wants to be a lineman? Raise your hand. And, and I'm the only one raising my hand. <laughs> and then, who wants to be a running back? And everyone raises their hand. And I said, that's awesome. Go, how would you like to be the running back if no one's blocking for you? And everyone looks at me. I go, exactly. So that's why whoever blocks the best on the line, I promise, will have an opportunity to carry the ball in the game. It's so, a good, yeah, it's a good incentive. Yeah. Even though you may not be the fastest kid, and typically, you know, we, we, the starting running backs are usually going to be the faster kids and the more agile kids. But I promise all the kids on the line, if you block really hard for your running backs, I promise you you're going to get an opportunity to carry the ball. Depending on how you do with that, you may, you, you may. We had a kid a couple years ago who he went from our starting center to our starting tailback, and uh, he did a great job carrying the ball. So he kept carrying it. He played, played that position for, I think, four games until other teams, you know, basically started keying on him, and it was very hard for him to carry all the players from the other team <laughs> at one time. And then we kind of needed him back at center at one point. So he went back to center. But, uh, yeah, that's a great – and I think that's really important in youth football because the truth of the matter is kids at nine years old, they may be big and slow, and they may turn out to be your fastest kid by the time they're 16 years old, and vice versa. Your small, fast kid, I'll give you a for instance, our freshman year in high school, we had this one kid. He was the fastest guy I've ever seen in my life. He scored almost all of our touchdowns that year. And by the time we were seniors, he was a backup tackle who had become one of the largest kids I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) So, and literally got beat out on the line by a kid who weighed 150 pounds, and he had to be at least 220. Because he didn't have the skill set? He didn't have the heart uh, to block, and he didn't want to do it. To, like, swallow his pride and, like, go to the line? I don't know what his real story was, but obviously he didn't have the desire to become a running back for the rest of his life because he just gained more and more weight and slowed down every single year. So it wasn't a priority to him, but he was really good as a running back. But by four years later, he was sitting on a bench as a tackle. Right. Um, I think another interesting point that I think is a positive for this like rule change uh, is with the mandated position rotations is that the word, the sports specialization is another buzzword in like sports health and safety. And I feel like by rotating positions, you get a different skill set, different movement pattern that you normally wouldn't get if you're just on the line, you know, lunging out in front of the guy in front of you, or if you're a running back making cuts left and right or whatever. Do you guys think that, that would be, you know, if, is that like realistic? I will. I'll, gi- <laughs> I'll, I'll give you one ca- caveat of that. Uh, at the youth level, I coach the kids their first year in pads. Some of them are terrified, and basically, what happens in practice, if you give them the ball, they close up, tuck themselves into a ball when they see an oncoming hit. So now you have a kid who is afraid that's tucking their head down, and here comes a kid who's not afraid and lays a hit on him, it's scary for me. To me, like the minute I see a kid that's fearful, that automatically means to me, okay, you're only going to be playing defense in a place where you're not going to have to have contact on a regular basis. So uh, believe it or not, sometimes the safest place for them is on the line because there's, there's less room, so right. there's less impact. Uh, if they're smaller and they're really terrified, you basically hide them at corner or safety and hope that at some point they develop a little bit more confidence and start getting in on some of the plays. But I would be terrified to give the ball to a kid who just curls up and then takes the hit, and he's just a sitting duck. That, to me, would be a recipe for disaster. What was the most fearful time... They're the time that you're the most scared playing football. Brian, you start. Probably at the end of the practice when we had to do sprints. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Honestly, um, trying to think. No, no specific instances jumping into my head. Um, fearful for my, my well-being. Yeah, your my health. Physically. Yeah, my physical health. health. Yeah. Honestly, not trying to sound like a tough guy. Like, I think we were just raised and we played in an era of football where that was the least of your concerns. Right. You sacrifice your body. My, I'm trying to think of what my fears were on the field, and it was always about blowing an assignment 
right. or making a mistake or missing a tackle. Like the, the fear of injury never really crossed my mind um, in any specific instance. All right. Yeah. What about you, Justin? I agree with Brian. It, you really didn't, at least for me, I never thought about it. I had thought about my teammates. I've seen a lot of injuries on the field to my teammates that put fear a little bit in my head. but Made you think twice before you – yeah, yeah, not I mean, but um not not going in for a hit. It was there was no no backing out, you know. There's no backing down from anybody on the field regardless of the size, you know. Um you guys are so tough. <laughs> no, but you know, it's but it, Brian was right. It's just the way the era of the football that we played. It was just, you know, it was football. We just we went in there, we did our job, did our assignment and getting a foul was like the worst thing ever, you know, letting your coach down, letting your teammates down. For one flag. Right. That was what you're more fearful yeah. of. Yeah. Right. That's all we knew. Really. Well, yeah. And huh? honestly, there wasn't a lot of concussion research back then. So Not that, at all. That wasn't an nope. embedded fear because we didn't even know about it. Exactly. So what what ages did you two start playing football? And you two, Kev? I started when I was seven. Yeah. As early as okay. six, seven. I think a little flag, later whatever. For me, but close to that age. So my first year of playing football was uh, seventh or eighth grade. I forget. I played soccer up until then. And I can tell you that the first hitting drill of my life, I almost shit my pants. I was scared <laughs> out of my mind. And the first year or two that I played football, literally I'd be up. Uh, I was a cornerback in a league that didn't throw the ball my first year. Thank God. And, um, and literally I'd be like, oh, don't come this way. Don't come this way. Don't come this way. And then they'd come this way. I'm like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And, and just you know, pray to God to hang on for dear life and hope that he'd trip over me. Uh, it wasn't until later on that I guess the testosterone kicked in and I was a little bit more of an animal. And then by that point, if you ran away from me when I was in high school, I'd yell at you and I'd call you bad names and tell you, uh, you better run my way or else I'm coming after you after the game. But that was a whole other story. But, um, and I tell the kids this too, like, yeah, I was terrified. It, it's scary the first time someone's coming at you. You don't, you don't trust the equipment. And I said, You've, that's why what you got to do is focus on what your coach should do. And we tried to heads up tackling. We'll get into that a little bit more. But I'll tell you guys just one quick funny story because it'll hit home for both of you guys. <clears throat> My sophomore year in high school, first year that I'm on the varsity team because, you know, freshman, you have your freshman team. So we suit up for, for varsity and, um, um, you know, special teams specialist. And op our opening game, first game of the year is at Wolfpack Stadium. The fighting Wolfpack. The home of Kevin Somm and Brian Bond. And uh, we go up there. Now, I came from Parsippany, and we eternally sucked in football. So typically, it was our parents in the stands, and that was about it. So we go up on a Friday night to Wolfpack Stadium, and the place is packed with people. The lights are on. We're out in the middle of nowhere. It's Long Valley, New Jersey. I didn't know what a farm was back then. <laughs> and the team comes running out from underneath the bleachers. And I'm like, where the hell are we? Did we go to Texas? I thought I was in Friday Night Lights. So here comes the opening kickoff. And again, I'm part of the wedge. I'm not a skilled player whatsoever. And I am on the far side of the field. And I was just like, okay, it, there's no way it's coming to me. No way it's coming to me. No way it's coming to me. Opening kickoff. Boom. I literally, it went up in the air and landed right in my hands. I didn't even budge. I caught the ball. I ran. I walked about two steps <laughs> and got hit so hard that I got up. My helmet was crooked. I could see out of my ear hole. I walked to the wrong sideline. One of my friends grabbed me and pulled me over. I don't remember much of this. And then apparently I get back to the sideline and I, one of my varsity coaches looked at me and goes, Welcome to the big league, son! <laughs> <laughs> that was all I remember from that game. Yeah, you wonder why I was a little nervous, but I got lit up. And, it, I mean, the student body, I think, just went nuts, and that pretty much dictated the rest of the game. We got crushed. Yeah, the only time I was ever, like, fearful was for my safety was in the wedge. Like, I remember one time we were playing Morristown, and, Bon, you might know uh, Trevor Birch. Oh, yeah. So we were both in the wedge, and we get the kickoff. The returner has it behind us. And there's this freaking kid from Morristown running down the field. He had to weigh like 270 pounds. He was like huge. And he was their freaking wedge buster. So in my head, I'm thinking like, oh, shit. Like, this is not good. And Birch actually vocalized it. He's like, oh, shit. <laughs> so we both just like parted ways and just like let him go through. We're like, I'm not, I'm not getting hit by that kid. Look out! Yeah. That's great. And then my introduction to varsity football was also in the wedge again. 
and I remember just getting freaking annihilated. And I wasn't afraid until I wasn't afraid of the wedge until that moment. <laughs> every, every time, every wedge after that, I was like, I, I want no part of this. Um, but yeah. But speaking of special teams, we already talked about it a little bit. How vital do you think special teams is to the game of football? I think it's incredibly important to the game. It's always, you know, been told it's the third phase of the game, offense, defense, and special teams. And it's just a, such an impactful um, part of the game when you talk about what other, what other phase of the game can one play at any given time change the outcome of the game or dictate right. the flow of the game. Or, you know, it's, it's, a, it's definitely a game-changing moment every time. It could be. So, like, what do you guys think of, like, the rule change in the NFL, how now there's not nearly as many kick returns anymore because they moved the ball up? Yeah, I, I think what, what we're seeing is <clears throat> they'll never completely get rid of special teams, but ultimately uh, they're minimizing them as much as you can. The other new rule, can't jump over to center, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of other things to protect. You can't hit the center uh, when they're long snapping in a lot of the youth leagues. Right. So there's a definitely special teams – they're probably the biggest, one of the biggest risks because ultimately I think this is part of it as well, which I'd hate to see it go because you have a lot of guys who make it in the NFL on special teams, but these are typically your guys who are trying so hard to hang on to their job. So they're going to go out and sacrifice their bodies. So you wonder, does that have something to do, do with it? You know, Darrell Revis is not going to break up any wedges. You can barely get him to make a tackle because, you know, that's not, what he gets paid to do. But how long has he been guy. in the league, though? Exa too. True, exactly. But even look, Deion Sanders, when he was a rookie, you know, he ne he he was the worst tackler I ever seen in my life. Uh, but you know, you guys, it, he was going to make millions of dollars. He was going to protect his body. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Oh, like the guys who last are the guys who don't freaking absolutely you know, run down the field and stick their nose in there. Well, like Deion Sanders also might not be in the Hall of Fame if it wasn't for special teams as a punt returner. As a punt returner. returner. True. True. Very true. But listen, the, the, from an injury prevention standpoint, I think the reduction of impact on special teams and, and honestly maybe even eventually doing away with special teams will be – it will have a tremendous effect on injuries. Uh, I don't know if it will be all head injuries, but, I mean, there's blindside blocks that happen all over on kickoffs. It's not even just a wedge. There's peel-back right. blocks, and it's a, you know, you got a 40-, 50-yard head, running head start. So, I, I mean, I, I battle myself with these kind of questions because I love the game – and I'm the same guy that complains when I watch football that the game's slowing down and all the rule changes are ridiculous and they're changing the game. Mm -hmm. In 10 years, it'll be flag football and all those things. But the other side of me, you know, I don't want to see anybody get hurt. Right. Right. Because, yeah, you, we've all been there before. Um, just going back to one of my other interviews with Eric Legrand, the Rutgers football player who became paralyzed on a kickoff. You know, it was interesting when I listened to him because he said that, you know, guys make their living on special teams. Like people make teams because they can play special teams. Absolutely. Like that's how the guys get scholarships and this and that. Like it provides opportunities for people. And I was surprised to hear that from him who, you know, obviously had an, a life altering experience from because of a kickoff. Right. And he still is kind of a proponent, a proponent for uh, special teams. Um, I, I think once you take special teams away, it definitely is a different game. And I think you're straying further and further away from, like, the true sport that it is, whether that's barbaric or not. You know, I feel like it's definitely a different game. It will definitely change the game a little bit. And, you know, I mean, special teams, it's funny because special teams are typically the most boring part of the game until they're a big play. Like, there's nothing cooler than seeing – even a big hit on a punt return, on a kick return. I mean, how, how excited do we get when right. someone lights up the return? As long as they guy? get back up after. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Now most of us kind of feel that way. But, you know, um, <clears throat> and when someone breaks one, uh, it's one of the coolest things to see. Like, it yeah. really is a, a huge play. I also think that there's, like, some sort of, like, symbolism of the kickoff, too. You know what I mean? Like, it's the first thing that happens in every game. You yeah. know, like, you take that away. Like, what are you going to do? Like, oh, that's yeah. true. Friday night lights, yeah. the drums are going, the people are cheering. <laughs> yeah, then, then, boom! Yeah, then and what, it kicks off. Yeah, then what happens? And so. then I walk to the wrong side of the field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure you guys have also all noticed that some teams change their strategy this year when they want good field position. Now they just kick the ball high and short. Exactly. And they're forcing a return instead yep. of just booting it out of the back of the end zone. So you still have to have some contact on kickoffs. Right. Even though they're trying to avoid that. Isn't there another rule, too, that – 
if you take a touchback, you get the ball on the 25-yard line instead of the 20-yard line? That's They did bump it yeah, up to 25. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, okay, maybe it's not a new rule. All right. No, I think that was new last year or the year before. Because that's like I can't incentivize too guys many for touchbacks yeah. again. <laughs> well, punts that go into the end zone are still on the 20. Okay. But for kickoffs, you're right. All oh, right. Gotcha. So another rule that is in this modified version of tackle football is how players at the line of scrimmage, they're not allowed to use three-point stances. They can only be in a two-point stance. So what do you guys think that is going to do to the game? And also – Going back to the big guys, like big guys, that's how they make their money, like blocking. You're right. So, are they going to be at a disadvantage now that they're only on two feet instead of a three point stance? Anyone? Well, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't think. I mean, I'd rather probably be in a two pan, two point stance, taking on somebody than being down in three point. But changing the game, I can't see it. Maybe not changing too much. Right. Too much. I don't know. Yeah, on the offensive side of the ball, I agree. I think being in a two-point, I mean, if you look at the higher levels, they're all in two points. Yeah, anyway, right. On the, like, on the defensive yeah. side of the ball, a lot of defensive ends are more comfortable in a two-point, but I think that that rule change will almost render interior defensive linemen useless because without the big leverage <laughs> and a head of steam, um, if those guys are standing you know, upright, I don't think they're going to get the drive off the ball they're not going to be able to bull rush. They're not going to be able to find a crease. I think that the guys in you know a three technique to a, to a zero technique on both sides will be nothing but a, a, a run stopper, just a plug, because they're not going to get any penetration. Right. So not that that's a good or bad thing. I just think it's going to change the position, and that would change the game. Right. And I think it would take some opportunities away from bigger guys who that's like their thing. They're just plugs in the in the line there, right? Right. I... I... I agree with you 100% at the upper levels, but in youth football, the first thing they all do is stand straight up anyway. That's a good point. I mean, literally all we're ever trying to do is, low man wins, yeah, low, low man, man, wins, man right? wins. I mean, how many times you hear the coach yelling that? And it's literally, it goes from the hand up to whoop, <laughs> and they're standing straight up. Uh, Two-point stance, I think, will enable them to stand up a lot easier um, and come straight up. So I, I think it may take a little bit away from the technique, but ultimately I get back to the same point. That's not where the injuries are happening. It's not the, the close contact on the line. Now I would agree a hundred percent in the NFL when you have big, strong guys firing out the way they do helmet to helmet contact on the line, that repetitive, that repetitive trauma at that level, I think, would have a, a huge impact on CTE or concussion. But in, in the youth game, they're really not hitting helmet to helmet on anyway, the line. Yeah. They usually stand straight up. So I, I think a lot of these rule changes are more, in my opinion, they're to make it seem safer, especially to the moms, because that's the ones who are typically the most protective of their and, boys. In all these articles, they, they talk about how they try to sell it to the parents that yep. the game is safer. It has nothing to do with the kids, really. It's all about convincing oh, yeah. the parents that it's okay to let their kid play in this version of football. Absolutely. And that's, that's what these rule changes are. Real. It's trying to make the game look safer, but ultimately, I, I don't think you've really changed anything. Do you think that your mom, Justin, you think your mom would let you play football today knowing like what yeah. <laughs> because you wouldn't give her a choice or No, I had no, no nothing nothing to do with that. Um I think it's just who she was, but um yeah, it, I I don't see her disagreeing. You know, I think she would accept the rules changing and, you know, you know, let us go play. Yeah, if you're having fun and yeah. doing your thing. Mm-hmm. What about you, Brian? I would say a similar answer because they always my my folks have always believed that, you know, the the choice is mine if I want to play or not, and it's up to me to take care of myself and be smart out there on the field. So That's key. I mean, it is your body. I, but I know I understand that I, uh, oftentimes throughout this conversation, I've let my mind drift to the higher levels, and I have to remember this is we're, the discussion about youth football. Um, I still think that they would, they would put the onus on the coaches and, and myself to, to take care of myself. I also think that was like – Going back before about um, how we were saying that's all we, how we knew growing up playing football is hard nose go take the hit go give the hit right um, but the trust in, uh, from our parents to let us play the sport a phys- such a physical game um, you know instead of you know coming off the field and you know not being nurtured but like you know are you okay are you yeah okay? like yeah. you know that's definitely like I grew up 
a house full of boys and we were just like, you know, boys being boys. And if we were nurtured, then, you know, it probably would have, you know, we probably would have veered away from a lot of activities that we shouldn't have done. Right. So, um, you know, getting, earning your parents trust or having your parents trust and you playing such a physical demanding game sport, you know, that I think that kept, kept my mind off of being injured while playing. Yeah, it's almost like you look to them for guidance. Guidance, yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. if they're if they're cool with it, then it must be okay, right? Mm-hmm. They knew we were gonna hit our heads one way or another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Def- parents and coaches, you know, if you you get, you know, you trust your coach, you trust your parents, then you know, you really don't. At least I didn't think about injuries during the. Jr., you're a parent. Uh, yeah. Ironically, my wife is absolutely fine with my son playing football. Really, I don't want him to play, and I won't. I won't force him either way. It's his decision, but. I would be, and I coach my son, and literally every play, I hold my breath, and I hope that he gets up okay. And last year, he had a, an incredible year, which made it even more difficult to watch because he was in on every tackle. Right. And, uh, and man, as a father, I can just tell you, I can honestly say after reading a lot of the articles on concussion, this may be the last year that my son plays football until he gets to high school. Um, if he plays this year, um, I'm still, we're still discussing it. Would you let him play this version of football? It, it, this doesn't really make a difference. To you me. don't think so? Nah. Honestly, at this point, there's, I can understand like, you know, you're playing football. If this is going to be something you want to continue for the rest of your life, this version, I, I don't think really prepares you for the later versions in high school. And I don't think it minimizes the risk. So ultimately, again, it would be his choice but what they're what they're proposing here i mean honestly they do this already and it's called nfl flag and it's a great league for fun and they play eight on eight and it's on a short field and the, you should see the amount of kids that are out there uh it's really remarkable and they're still having fun oh they have a great time even though they're not hitting they're not hitting they're they're having a great time they have to rotate and play every position and actually the way the league works um you you win games, but your standings are based on how many people on your team have scored. So if oh. everybody on your team has scored a touchdown, you get a higher a higher point percentage for in the standings. So you may have lost two, 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 two games, but may still be in first place because everyone on your team has two touchdowns. And the other team, they only have three kids that scored. So there's value in that as well. So it's it's fun, you know. It's it's and that's if that's what you want, safe fun stuff that's perfect right but again it's not football it's not the football that we know and it's a different game and you know what are we going that way quite possibly we are and i have a feeling that a few years from now there will be no more youth football not the way we know it transition i mean you're the second dad that i've talked to about this this discussion and he's a proponent for flag too his son wants to play tackle football but he's trying to extend the flag football program's age uh, in in town here to try to give him an opportunity. I guess the coaches in the league were saying like, you know, how do we keep kids playing? Like they're losing, right. they're losing numbers. They're trying to get kids to continue on playing high school. So they asked him what he thought, and he's like, just make the flag program go on longer. And they poo pooed it. They thought that was like a dumb idea because it's not football. So that, I, I think I think that's more on to something, and let let the kids decide when they get to high school. I mean, and, it, and listen, I'll be the first one to tell you that our flag program a couple years ago, uh, two or three years ago, we literally, it, for ages five, six, and seven, we had like over 40 kids come out for the flag football of our football league. And then the peewee team had 13 kids. Right. So it doesn't really translate to contact. Uh, but at the same time, listen, anything that's keeping the kid moving and having fun and keeps him involved in a program, I'm, I'm for it. Right. And I'd rather see flag extended out and then football go away completely because, I mean, let's face it, you know, I think all four of us are big proponents. Even though we've all had some serious injuries from football, right? I, I wouldn't change a thing in my life. And Justin, you still play flag football, right? So, like, it's mm-hmm. so fun for you. Love it. You yeah. know, in terms of everyone having fun and, like, you're still being athletic out there moving – being active and not, you know, sitting on the couch playing video games, it's great. Mm-hmm. But in terms of entertainment value and, like, what the NFL is going for, I don't know. But in terms of the NFL, too, like, part of their why they want to keep kids playing football is because they're creating fans of football in the process. 
And I think that you can still create football fans through flag football if, I don't know. Honestly, they don't have to worry about that. Fantasy football has done a tremendous job oh, okay. at keeping fans in the NFL. NFL has nothing to worry about. Youth football and high school football could cease to exist, and the NFL will still be making billions of dollars. Let's face it. Well, look down the road. Will there be an NFL if there's no high school football? Where are they going to come from? Well, there will always be high school football, in my opinion. Because getting back to what Eric Legrand was saying, look how many kids. It's opportunities, yeah. Yeah, it's an opportunity for kids to get an education in college that might not be able to afford one otherwise. It's an opportunity for someone who may be a gifted athlete but not be able to make millions of dollars on Wall Street to make a substantial living and live an enchanted life. I mean, that's the dream that we all consider. Of course, if you're 40 years old and you have to drink out of a straw for the rest of your life and you can't remember your name, it's probably not as enchanted as you had dreamed about, but you're talking about millions and millions of dollars. So because of that incentive, you'll never lose all the interest. But you may have some athletes, like if you look at some of the dual sport guys like Bo Jackson, um, uh, who else did it Deion well? Sanders. Yeah, who else did it well? Uh, you know you may get guys like like LeBron James you know he might have been a great football player but you know the next LeBron James may stay say all right yeah I'm not going to go to football Um, I'm going to stay in in basketball where I'm safer and I can still make that kind of money so you may have some of those great athletes who had an opportunity like A-Rod was apparently a great football player back in high school and probably made the smarter decision to go into baseball. I don't think he could have made that kind of money in the NFL. And don't not for longer than three years. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so I think you're going to see that. But I think you were going to see that for athletes who had a choice, regardless. Um, it's you can make a lot more money safer in NBA and Major League Baseball than you do in the NFL. How do you guys think that uh, coaches will respond, like youth coaches now, who are like all about football and you know have played their whole life and that you know they they love football? Like, how do you think they will respond to a rule change or the, this new modified version of tackle football? I'll let you guys go first because you'll probably have to pull the plug on me after a while <laughs> on this one. Well, I, I think that they may be opposed. The, if the guys that grew up in the era of hard-nosed football and that's what they were brought up on. But then again, you know, you flip the coin and these guys have sons probably. A lot of, most coaches are parents. And just like JR, I mean, I think that, you know, the evidence is piling up, you know, of a, you know, the impact of all these collisions. So, you know, they may look themselves in the mirror and, and think about what they want for their son, just knowing what we know now. So, uh, you know, I can't speak for – for other folks, I'm not a father yet, and uh, I don't coach, but I've got to imagine that's a tough decision that they struggle with because the game is changing, but I think the smart ones will, will just follow suit. Right. Yeah, it's probably going to be half and half. You know, you get the hard-nosed football guys and then the guys that think the rules are, are good. And, uh, you know, just everyone's going to have to adapt to them, you know, because that's the way the sport's heading. Yep. JR, what, what would some of the coaches in your league say? The coaches are the problem in youth football. The coaches by far are the problem. And the reason why I say that, and listen, they're not all bad. I hate to stereotype, but unfortunately, what I see in the league where I coach is we've had a huge push. Like the league is now mandating that every coach become USA certified and go online and take the test and learn the heads up football tackling. Um, Now, speaking from experience, I don't see the drills translate out onto the field, unfortunately. Uh, I think it's kind of the, the, tech, the technique that they teach is really to kind of like lead with your chest, which is really, really difficult to Sounds do. Sounds awkward. It yeah. is very awkward. It's awkward to teach, and it's just not instinctive. So when you're about to hit somebody, the last thing you want to do is open up your chest and take it on with your sternum. We're typically exactly, exactly. So that's how they teach, like their head-on tackle. Now they're getting more into the hawk tackling, which came from the Seattle Seahawks, um, and now it's you know shoulder into the strike zone, which is actually the strike zone of, of baseball. Uh, and you want to put your your shoulder on that strike zone, and then they're teaching more head to the back, so you don't put your head. Yeah, we used to be taught. 
like head, when we head tackle front. the ball, head in front, yeah, bite yep. the ball head in front. Like mm-hmm. if you're running up the sideline, you yeah. always stick your head in front of them because then they can't break the tackle. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Use your yeah. extra yards. Yeah, mm-hmm. use your head as like an extra arm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, 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 uh, and I'll and I'll give you a, a great for instance. Um, so the great for instance here is we're literally doing our tackling drills now. Every my job in our coach i did the warm-ups and we did all the heads up tackling drills we'd go through those stations we'd do it all all three levels of contact football would do this and then we'd break up into our own teams and uh we would and two of the coaches at the upper level their sons were on the peewee team and literally three minutes after finishing those heads up tackling drills two kids went to tackle each other helmet to helmet contact boom one kid's down crying the other one is stunned and the dad's on the other side are going nice hit and i'm going no that's not a nice hit and therein lies the problem you hear that helmet to helmet contact and a lot of the meathead coaches out there are you're like, like yeah great hit. Yeah, you're like classically conditioned to like exactly hear the right. hit and be like oh yeah all right and i mean it couldn't have been any worse of i i was just thrilled that neither kid was injured but ultimately, and I've had several of the coaches uh, whose sons played, uh, kids come off, they're crying, head hurts, uh, father push them back into the game. And, um, and then they would look to me because I have some medical experience, and I would say, if it's my kid, he's not playing. It's my kid, he's not playing. I don't know what else to tell you. That's your kid. If you're going to put him back in there, that's fine, but it ain't on me. And uh, it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, we're talking about 9- and 10-year-old kids yeah. Don't get paid to play a sport because that that game's going to really have an impact on their future. Exactly right. I mean, and and here, in my opinion, this is the problem because there's too many of those coaches, and it seems like all the loudmouths with the least amount of intelligence and the most ignorant ones are the ones that are in charge of this stuff. And unfortunately, they are not going to be open to rule changes, and they'll say whatever you want. I was at a coach's meeting last week, and it was obvious. The, the, the guys were already bashing heads-up tackling and hawk tackling. And my point was, it's better than trying nothing. Yeah. You know, we have nine kids signed up for our peewee team so far this year. Wow. So unless we go to an eight-on-eight league, we might not have a team. Several of the teams in our division are really struggling. Last year, two of the teams didn't have teams. And if they don't have a team again this year, they're done. Another team. Uh, out in Delaware Valley, Regal Ridge, they're having a town vote sometime in the next two weeks. They have a, a one team, uh, Delaware Valley, that doesn't have a weight limit, and that's one, in one league. And then they have their Regal Ridge Rams, which is in our league, and the town is saying we can't sustain two anymore, so we're going to vote. Have a town vote. Whatever team wins the vote, that's the team. You want to play football, you got to go to that team. So they may be gone within the next week. So our 12-team conference is slowly dwindling but the numbers have been incredible i mean every team is you know last year we had three subs we had 14 kids uh this year we'll probably have the same if we get that much um so it's the problem is now if you're going to try to make these changes i think it's too little too late right you know the writing's been on a while i mean really ever since that movie concussion came out like uh, i mean it's dropped dramatically since then before that it wasn't too bad but whole grand scheme of things you see what's going on you see what the nfl did uh, and the nfl is you know again they paid 45 million dollars to heads up football to to start this safety program now you start to wonder well, why were the why were the statistics statistics so wrong in the preliminary report right you know that, that that's what my biggest thing is with this whole usa football thing is like it just seems ingenuine to me it's like you're trying to target the parents and talk the parents into letting their kids play football. When at the end of the day, like, I don't know, it just seems like they're, they don't, have, their heart's not in the right place. It's like, it's cause they, they're trying to build a fan base and I don't know. I, I, I'm still not 100% on board. I mean, honestly, if you want to do the right thing by kids, present the facts. Listen, this is what we know. And one article I read that said kids that play youth football are much more likely to have memory issues by the time they get into high school yep. and college level, that scares the shit out of me. That really does. Like, I don't want my kids' future to be dictated by youth football. I mean, I love for him to play because it was a great sport, taught me so many things, and really brought me out of a shell. I had a 
you know, that's a, you that a was show. A, that was a pretty big <laughs> shell back then. Um, yeah, it brought me out of my shell, and I learned so much from the game, and I love the game, and I still talk to all the guys I played football with in high school. Like I, they're still my my buds, um, but um, it was so great. But I don't want my son to suffer later on in life because he right. got hit in the head too much when he was nine years old. I mean, that's just that's a life sentence before you're even old enough to understand what the consequences are of your actions. I think to wrap up, I just want to wrap ask, up. I haven't even started yet. What are you talking about? <laughs> wrap we're, up. We're going up at, onto an hour. So here. I got, I got a babysitter at home. I'm good. So I want to finish by talking about like, if you guys regret anything that you did in your careers in terms of like how you played only, I say that because I do, I regret not like, because I went, I didn't go hard enough. Like I always gave it everything I had, but the style that I played, it wasn't smart. And we've talked about that earlier today. Like, I was constantly sticking my face in there, trying to run people over, not, like, avoiding contact. Like, I played, like, a freaking caveman. And, like, looking back, I loved playing football, just like JR said. And I think that I could have played even longer had I not played that way. And I would have saved my head concussions. I would have saved my shoulders, you know, injuries, whatever. And, I, you know, knowing the risk-benefit now that I never got to play college football, I didn't get a scholarship to play, I, I, I put – 10 years of my life into this sport and I really just freaking pummeled the crap out of myself because of the style of player that I did. I just wish that I played with, with more, I don't know, emphasis on my health. Like instead of trying to run that guy over before I go out of bounds, like just go out of bounds, you know, like, I don't know. Uh, Justin, you want to start off by thinking, thinking back on your career and things that you wish you did to protect your body or maybe you don't. Yeah, I don't really have any regrets as far as how I played the sport. Um, I I loved the sport. I wish I continued playing outside of high school. I had the opportunity to, but I pursued baseball um, over football, and I kind of wish I stuck with football. But um, I had a great career playing. Um, I played a little semi-pro um, you know, a few years back. Um, that that I maybe had a couple. I changed my style up a little bit as I was older because, like you said, you beat your body up for so long. But, um, uh, but no, 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 no regrets. Um, you know, I, I, I do like what they're doing now with the sport as far as trying to make, um, you know, the game safer. At least they're trying. They're trying yeah. exactly. And to, you know, to Jr.'s point, it's it's the coaches. It really is. And I was thinking about this all day coming into this, um discussion that uh it's definitely up to the coaches to educate the their kids like they're in and the parents have to trust the coaches at the same time they're like yeah they're not in like oh hands. great hit when they make a helmet yeah. contact yeah. Like, no like that's not how you do it yeah, yeah. but yeah. when it comes down to it no 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 regrets i mean i i knew what i knew at the time and that's just the way i played and right. i don't look back on that like it affected me no, in it's, way. yeah so, it's good yeah how about you bry i have no regrets either i mean my most traumatic injury was a knee injury that could have happened, you know, in a number of ways. Um, it's easy for me to sit here and say that though, because I, I think I have most of my marbles at least. So, <laughs> but I mean, if I'm like Jr. said, if I'm drinking out of a straw down the road and it's all traced back to head injuries, I'll be singing a different tune. But in the same token, um, if I had a eight, nine year old son playing the sport, I would think about it differently. Um, personally, I have no regrets. I played the way the game was taught, the way I, you know, I was instructed to play. I followed all the rules. Uh, I tried to do the right thing, and I, I made it out okay. Uh, I, play, I played longer than most folks get to play, so right. I, I, mean, I think I'm lucky. But, um, yeah, knowing what we know now, uh, if, I were to, if I was beginning my career now, I might play different. Interesting. What about you, JR? So coming from uh, – I'll set, set the tone a little bit because um, now about to be 44 – uh, I've already had my knee replaced. I've had four knee surgeries thanks to the wedge breaker from West Essex <laughs> back in October 14th, 1989. But who's remembering <laughs> that day? <laughs> Dipshit. Uh, needless to say, um, despite the four knee surgeries, uh, I now have arthritis in both hips. And they will probably be replaced uh, within the next couple years. I got a ton of arthritis in my spine, too. I don't really know. Now, I didn't even play nearly as long as you guys did. I only played football for five, well, yeah, about five years if you count the half a season I missed after knee surgery. Um, so only five years. And I got to tell you, at age 44, it's, it's, it's when I get out of, out of bed in the morning, 
it's tough to straighten up for a while. And uh, I don't necessarily think it's how I played the game. Um, I played it as hard as I could, but let's face it, I was five feet tall, 180 <laughs> pounds, and not that fast. So I really did never got up to the impact that I tried to get up to. Um, so I don't know if that's the case, but even given all the physical issues that I feel nowadays, I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, it gave me a career in physical therapy, gave me some of the best friends in my life, taught me some valuable life lessons. And uh, truth of the matter is life has kicked me in the balls many a time. And, um, you know, maybe it was because of that first knee injury that knocked me down and I got back up and played again the following year. Maybe that's what set the tone for the rest of my life. Yeah. I don't know. But I think those life lessons have been invaluable to me and pretty much make up who I am today. And, and if I had to go back, I would do it all the same, except for maybe not had the knee surgery quite so early in my career and maybe got a chance to play college football sacred heart was recruiting me yeah yep, they sent a letter to every male in our school <laughs> their slogan was be a part of the start at sacred heart oh, they were clever. starting a football team well i appreciate your guys opinion and i think I don't regret anything that I did. I don't want it to come off like I regret playing football because I don't. I love playing football. And Wait, if there I... was that one girl in college. I Oh, no, we're just talking about football, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, don't, I would just play smarter, especially knowing what I know now and going, with, going through what I've gone through. She was on the football team. <laughs> <laughs> of course she was. <laughs> okay, this is really the last question. Uh, if everyone could give me their personal definition of toughness, I'd like to hear what, what that's all about because – I talk a lot about toughness on the podcast because I feel like the way I played the way I did because I was trying to embody what toughness was to me at the time, which was playing hurt, being the biggest, strongest, you know, nastiest, hardest hitting player out there. That's like what I wanted to be. And I feel like my career was cut short because I, that was what I was trying to live up to. Brian, let's start it off. Let's see. Toughness to me is, uh, you know, it's more than just a physical trait. I think toughness is about who you are. It's about resilience and it's about, you know, your, your outlook on life. It's about not, not giving up, not taking anything to use another one of JR's phrases. It's about getting kicked in the nuts and then getting right back to it. So it's not about delivering a hard hit or, you know, getting up after a hard hit. It's just about you know, the, the type of person you are and then the kind of the resilience that you have. Okay. What about you, Justin? Completely agree. Whatever's thrown at you, you take it, you know. Um, you know, becoming smarter in uh, decisions that you make as far as sports or everyday life, which direction you go. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's not, it's, it's, not, it's not about, you know, giving the punch. You know, if you can take one, you know, take one, get back up. Keep moving forward. I like that. It's not about giving the punch. Yeah. yeah. Cool. What about you, JR? I'm going I'm to flip it a little bit and go the parental route again because I agree 100% what you guys are saying, and I love that aspect. Now I'm seeing a whole different side of toughness, that, uh, and that is in my 9-year-old and my 11-year-old, toughness is not worrying about, thinking about, or doing what you are doing because of how others are perceiving you. It's not, it's not worrying about what they think of you, not worrying about what they would want you to, what looks cool. Toughness is following your internal moral compass, doing what you want to do and what you know to be right. Because ultimately, to me, that is the most inspiring thing I've ever seen in my life. My 11-year-old daughter uh, and my nine-year-old son both impressed the hell out of me with their ability. And listen, there are some times where, you know, they're hurt, but my daughter just had to go through a split where basically all of her childhood friends are going in one direction, and she decided that's not the direction for her. And man, I could not be prouder for her of, of her than I am right now because that's got to be the hardest thing for an 11-year-old to do. And, you know, those are the cool kids. And, uh, you know, my daughter... She stayed in band. She went into science club, um, made all the right decisions because she wanted to, not because, and believe me, she took some heat for it, but 
ultimately she stood tall and proud and did the right thing because that's with her internal moral compass. So any kids out there listening to this, do not give a shit. And yes, I did curse there. Do not give a shit about what the cool kids may think or may say. Do the right thing. Don't, don't do the stupid shit that they do. Um, and, you know, believe me, the directions that they're going couldn't be more different. And I am fairly confident that in several years, my daughter's going to be very happy about what she chose to do. So that, to me, has got to be one of the toughest things because at that age, I don't think that you really know how big of a choice you're making. Right. And it's so hard to go against the grain. Yeah, and just uh, my own little thoughts on this is, going off of what you said, JR, is the, the week that I had the headache that led to me almost dying and, and ended my athletic career was it was exactly that. I was trying to do things that would make me look cool in the eyes of other people or to, to make me look tough in the eyes of my coach. And that's those are the people that I wanted to impress and I didn't follow my gut on like how I was actually feeling. And it cut my career short. I didn't get to finish my senior season with all my buddies. I didn't get to play college football because I wasn't listening to myself and what what the right thing really should have done. Um, so thanks for taking an hour out of your time to record this interview, guys. I appreciate it. And um, I know it's a long day after work and everything. So so worth it to be Happy here to with be you here. guys, man. Absolutely. Thank you. We yeah, should finish so every work day off like this. The only thing we're missing is the Coronas. Yeah, we got to get those. They don't have that in the fridge. I think we got some downstairs. All right.